0: There is a part of perhaps every person that celebrates justice. What I mean by that is that there is part of us that wants justice to happen. And when it does, we rejoice. Storytellers have known this for years and now modern movie makers as well. And they all capitalize on this fact. They write stories. They tell stories about injustice that then resolve with some sort of act of justice. I mean, think about even the old story of Cinderella. Cinderella suffers this great injustice from her stepmother and her stepsisters. And when finally justice is served and they get what they deserve, there's part of us that celebrates that in the story. And we could transpose this over onto all sorts of stories and even modern movies. It doesn't really matter where you look, you will find that storyline, that kind of storyline playing out. What if I would tell you that the reason we celebrate justice like that is because God has designed us that way. Your deep desire for justice is there because God put it there. In fact, one of the attributes of God is that He is just, and it's an attribute that we hold in common with God. God is just, and when we seek justice, we are proving what the Bible tells us, that we are made in the image of God. Now, before you get too carried away with this thought, we also need to note it's worth pointing out that God is perfectly just, and we are not. The way I'd like to show you that is by actually opening to a text that we're going to be referencing a lot today. So I'm inviting you to open a Bible to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be spending a lot of our time. There's many scriptures that we could look at that talk about God and His justice, but we're going to park in Romans chapter 2. And as we read this, we need to realize that it's just coming out of Romans 1 where it's talking about Uh, some of the corruption, the sin, the injustice in the world. And in verse one of chapter two is where we're going to read. You'll see what it says here. It says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We have a sense of right and wrong. And that's the sense of justice that God has given us. But that sense of right and wrong is corrupted. And hypocritically, the the injustices that we point out in others, we can easily find ourselves, turn around and find ourselves doing. Our sense of justice can become polluted by pride, by selfishness. And really, I mean, if you dig down to it, it's being polluted by sin. As we look into this topic of justice, as we're doing today, We're going to do so by looking at three main key words, and I want you to try and remember these. The first word is justice. The second word is wrath, and there are two ways you can say that word. You can say wrath or wrath. We'll stick with wrath. And then thirdly, the word love, justice, wrath, love. So looking at this word justice, what is justice? We use this word just in a whole bunch of different ways. Like I could say, I just want to eat pizza tonight, or I just wish that you would listen to me. And when we use the word in that sense, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, the justice of God. If you look up this word justice in a dictionary, I looked up a number of different definitions and they basically say this, it's fairness in the way people are treated or dealt with. So that's kind of the gist of what the dictionaries will tell you. And I don't know if I really feel like that's a big enough definition for what we're talking about when we're talking about the justice of God. So if we were to flip over to a theological textbook like Bible Doctrine by Wayne Grudem, what it would point out to us is actually something quite interesting. It says this, I'll I'll quote the book here. It says, in in English, sorry, the terms righteousness and justice are are different words. And we're like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, righteousness, justice. But listen to this. But in both the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, there is only one word group behind these two English terms. And so what it's telling us is the terms righteousness and and justice in the Bible are one and the same. And so... It goes on then in the book, in this theological textbook, to define this term of righteousness and justice by saying that it means that God always acts in accordance to what is right and is himself the standard of what is right. So God always acts by what is right and is himself the standard, the measure of what is right. Now, this isn't just some random definition that somebody, you know, Wayne Grudem came up up with by himself. This has been given thought in light of God's word and what God has revealed to us about himself. And so we should expect that that those words should line up with what we find in God's word. And so if you look at Romans 2 again with me in verse 2, you'll actually see that coming out. It says this, We know that the judgment of God, what does it say there? Rightly falls on those who practice such things. So those who practice sin and and, and evil and injustice, it says that God's judgment rightly falls. So when we say that God is just, it, it means that God is fair and He gives everyone exactly what they deserve. He sees everything. He knows everything and He judges rightly because He is a just God. Now, it would be fair if if some of you wanted to stop me at this point and say, hey, let's just take a a bit of a pause because what you're saying and what I'm seeing, there's a disconnect between those two things. The truth is that sometimes we can feel like this truth doesn't line up with the reality of our day-in, day-out lives because we can say, yeah, God is just, and the Bible tells us that God is just, But why would he allow injustice to continue? We see injustice all around us in his created world. I mean, just to list out a few things, we could picture probably most of us right now, images we've seen of of kids starving to death, not having enough food. We can also think of news headlines where somebody's been taken from their home, abducted from where they belong, where they live. Or news headlines of some sort of corrupt politician getting some sort of payout again. I mean, these are just a few quick things. There's many things that we could list out here. And so we're not the first ones to feel this tension to say, hey, God, you're telling me you're just, but what I see in this world is all sorts of injustice. Back in the Old Testament, there was a man named Jeremiah who, who loved God and believed in God and was actually a prophet, a spokesman for God. There's an interesting passage that he recorded, though, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1. I'll just read it for you. I'm not going to turn there. But he says this, he says, righteous are you, God. Remember, that means justice as well. So God, you are just is what he's saying when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. So he's basically saying, God, I know you're just, but hear me out because what I'm seeing and what I know don't really line up. He goes on and says, why does the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? This is a good question. It's a question that we find a similar kind of line of thinking in Psalm 73 or in Job chapter 21. I'll read Job 21 for you in verse 7 through 9. He says this, Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. He's asking this question and and you're like, okay, that's kind of a fair question. But no, if you don't know the story of Job, you don't know where he's asking that from. These are questions from a man who has very recently lost all of his possessions and he was wealthy. He's also lost his health. He's sitting there. He's got sores all over his body. And we also know contextually that he's just lost his 10 children, 10. And all of these things happen in just a day. I mean, if anybody had a valid reason for questioning God and His justice or the injustice in His world, it was Job. When we ask these questions, which we do, we often are forgetting a couple of important things. And both of these things that we're going to talk about here for a moment have to do with perspective. Firstly, our, our perspective is warped when it comes to time. Time. We live our short lives here on earth, seeing many wrongs that are not made right. But God is eternal. He is not constrained by time like we are. And His justice may feel slow to us, but His timing is perfect and His justice will come. If we were to read Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. A person without God looks at injustice and feels frustrated. They feel helpless and frantic because they don't have the perspective of thinking that God is over all time and that he will ultimately serve justice. Now compare that with a person who is trusting in God. When they see injustice, hopefully they work against injustice, but they also trust and rest ultimately in the fact that God will bring about justice in whatever situation. And this is why God encourages us to rest in him. If you go to Romans chapter 12, there's a really interesting verse in verse 19. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine I will repay, says the Lord. So, our perspective is warped when it comes to time. But, secondly, our perspective is also distorted when it comes to ourselves. We find it very easy to see evil and injustice in others and very difficult to find it in ourselves. Uh, Maybe, by way of illustration, those of you who have kids may have had that situation where one of your kids will come to you talking about some sort of injustice. He did this, she did that. And you look at them and you think, wait a sec, you just did the same thing a few moments ago. And so I think this is in some ways a picture of of life. Our children and what, what they're doing is actually revealing to us a problem that we ourselves wrestle with. We're quick to point to others, not realizing the wickedness, the problems within ourselves. We see this coming out actually further in Romans chapter 2. I'm going to go back to Romans 2 and in verse 3, read this. It says this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, evil stuff, and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? What this is pointing us to is the fact that we are all guilty and deserving of God's just judgment. Some of you may struggle with that, but I want you to hear this. We have all, even the best of us, have thought things that are offensive to God. We have spoken things. We've spoken words that are offensive to God. We've acted in ways that are contrary to the way that God wants us to act, ways that are not right. If you were to go on to Romans chapter 3, just further on, In this same book, in verse 23, there's a very famous text that says this, For all, not most, not some, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a sweeping statement. And what it's saying is the truth is all of us are wicked. Even a righteous man like Job ultimately needed saving from his sins. Mother Teresa needed saving from her sins. We are all worthy of God's judgment. So as people deserving God's just judgment, what should we expect from that judgment? Well, if we read on in Romans 2, we actually see if you look at verse 5 with me, it says this, But because of your hard and impenitent, that's an unrepenting heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is a sobering verse. God's just judgment results in something, and what it results in is what it's telling us here, wrath. That's our second key word that I asked you to remember earlier. Many of us actually struggle with this word because we have a wrong picture, a distorted picture of what it means. Wrath is not God turning into some kind of rage monster. I think when we think of wrath, that's often what we picture. God getting angry and upset about things not going His way and picking up pieces of furniture and throwing them around the room. That is not at all the biblical picture of wrath. God's wrath, hear this, is an appropriate and perfect response to the corruption, the sin, and the injustice that has distorted His creation. If we were to look up Wayne Grudem's theology book, he would go on to tell us that God's wrath means that he intensely hates sin. I want you to think for a moment, okay, what if God didn't hate sin? If wrath is a byproduct of God hating sin, what if God didn't hate sin? Well, he would either enjoy sin or he would be indifferent to sin. It wouldn't bother him. He'd be accepting of it be like, oh yeah, that's okay. That injustice, that sin, that's okay. Or he would enjoy it. In either case, God would immediately be unworthy of our worship. God hates our sin because he loves us. Now, this is a really important point. I heard Matt Chandler, a pastor from Texas, recently talk about this. And and I think he said this well. He said, do not tease out The wrath of God, as in don't think about it, don't consider it apart from the love of God. You will cost yourself, he went on to say, you will cost yourself worship. You will cost yourself awe and joy and delight. God is wrathful because God loves. Maybe think about it this way. If someone came into your home and hurt your child or or hurt your spouse, If you were not upset and angry about that happening, all the rest of us would look at you and question whether you actually loved those family members. God is just and God will repay because God loves. Now, let there be no doubt that God will repay us for how we live. This is already coming out in the text that we're reading. But if you read on to verse 6, you'll see this developed a little bit further. It says this, Romans 2.6, He will render, as in give, and give completely to each one according to his works. This actually sounds very similar to the scripture that we had as our scripture reading for today from Revelation chapter 20. In that scripture, it describes the judgment of God where not a single person will be looked over. They'll all stand before God and have to give an account of their lives. I'll read for you verse 12 from chapter 20 of Revelation. It says this, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to to what they had done. Every person will be called to account for every action in their life. And this is a concern for all of us because we all have, as we've already said, fallen short. The only hope that we have, and it's a great hope, is Jesus. He alone can put our name Into that book of life. We can't run up and write that in there ourselves, but He alone can put it in there. And so rather than receiving the punishment that we justly, now let's get that right, we justly deserve, He took that punishment on Himself. Romans 6 talks about this in verse 23. It says, for the wages, that means the payment, the end result of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One of my heroes of the faith, J.I. Packer says it like this and I love this sentence. He says, "By his sacrificial death for our sins, Christ pacified the wrath of God." What Packer is saying is that Christ absorbed the judgment that we deserved. The justice of God will also lead us, as we've seen, to the wrath of God and to the love of God. Really, that's what we've been talking about here, both wrath and love. I mentioned, that, I mentioned earlier that we we're going to talk about these three words. And so we've talked about justice, we've talked about wrath, and we're talking about love. Greater love has no one than this, that He would lay down His life For his friends. That is what Christ has done for us. So, where does this reflection about justice and about wrath and about love leave us today? It leaves us with a a question, with a resource, and with a command. And I want you to think about, okay, of these things, the resource, uh, the question, the resource and the command, what do you need to hear? What do you need to take away? The question is this, it revolves around this great act of grace. All of us need to consider today the justice of God, what we deserve, and ask the question, is my name written in the book of life? If it's not, don't go any further. Consider that. Pray, talk to God and say, God, I need, I want my name to be written in that book of life. Would you forgive me of my sins? And if you pray that prayer, your name can be permanently written in that book. The resource is one that helps us in the midst of the pain of injustice. Some of you know all too well what it feels like to experience injustice, to be wronged. If that's you, I want to ask you, have you considered the fact that Jesus knows exactly how you feel? And not just because he is all-knowing, which he is, but because he has experienced injustice himself. He was beaten. He was mocked and whipped and hung to die on a Roman instrument of torture across. And what was the reason? There wasn't a good reason. Well, there was a good reason. It was for love. But He was wrongly accused and and hung on this cross. I mean, what greater injustice has there been in all of history? The Creator of the universe comes to love the world He created, and instead of them receiving Him, they torture Him and kill Him. His own creation killing Him. I mean, that is the ultimate injustice. And so when we come to Jesus, we can know that He understands what that feels like. And He is a resource for comfort and for hope in the midst of injustice. If you feel the weight of a wrong, come to Him. Let Him soothe those pains. The command is what we are all called to when we've received this gift of grace that we've been talking about. If God has graciously absorbed the wrath, the judgment that we deserve, the question we have to ask is, how then should we live? And to answer that, I want to look with you to one final scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter one. If you want to turn there with me, Isaiah one, and I'll be reading from verse 16 and 17. It says this in verse 16 of Isaiah one, wash yourself, make yourself clean Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. By the way, the only way we can do all of that is through Jesus. He washes us. He makes us clean. He takes away our evil. And so when we've experienced that, what then should happen? Well, verse 17 says this Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the cause, the widow's cause. It's reminding us that we need to do good. We need to seek justice. That that is what a Christian is called to. Perhaps the best example of this that I can think of from modern history is a guy named Louis Zamperini. He was a track star who was shot down in World War II over the Pacific, and he had this harrowing story of survival on the ocean, and when he washed up on the shore of an island, he was taken by the Japanese into a prisoner of war camp where he received horrible acts. I mean, complete injustice at the, at the hand of the prison guards. And when finally the war ended and he managed to survive somehow, he returned to the United States as, as this broken man, this angry and bitter man, filled with rage, filled with ha- hate. But Jesus broke into his world and radically changed him. And he went then took the grace of God and received not just peace in himself. He extended that grace and that forgiveness to these men who had tormented him. He actually sought out his oppressors, the guards who had, who had committed all these injustices towards him. And he extended grace to them. It was such a beautiful, his life is a beautiful picture of what the Christian life can and should be. So as we think about these things... Remember that instead of punishment, through Jesus, you and I receive grace. If that doesn't make you feel incredibly joyful, think what we're saying here. This is good news. We receive grace instead of punishment, and we get to share that grace with others. So let's praise God together, that He is both just and that he is loving.